Welcome to the God's Word, our Great Heritage Podcast. In this episode, we're following Jesus in the last hours of his earthly life, beginning Thursday night in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're in Mark chapter 14. Let's begin with prayer. On my heart imprint your image, blessed Jesus, King of Grace, that life's riches, cares, and pleasures have no power to hide your face. This the superscription be, Jesus crucified for me, is my life, my hope's foundation, and my glory and salvation. Amen. The disciples must have heard them coming, the tramp of marching feet off in the distance, soldiers and temple police, well over a hundred armed men. They must have seen them approaching, carrying torches and lanterns. The disciples must have wondered, what's going on? But Jesus knew. Get up, he says to them. Here comes my betrayer. And as this sizable contingent of armed men surround Jesus, his enemies are not going to let him slip away this time. A familiar face steps forward. Chapter 14, verse 43. Just as Jesus was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. The hypocrisy is shocking. The Eastern custom of greeting with a kiss was to say, My dear master, it is so good to see you. But it was the signal. Judas wants no confusion in the darkness of the olive grove, no chance for Jesus to escape. The one I kiss is the one you want. Grab him. Don't let him get away. One of the disciples, John tells us it was Peter, we could have guessed that, decides to make a stand. Does Peter really think he has a chance when they are outnumbered at least 10 to 1 by trained soldiers? Maybe he thinks Jesus will do a miracle, or maybe he just doesn't think. He swings his sword, no doubt intending to cut off Malchus's head, but he only gets an ear. Again, it is John who tells us Jesus takes control of the situation, telling Peter, put the sword away, and then healing the man's ear. Verse 49. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. In this chaos and confusion of Peter lopping off someone's ear, and then, no doubt, these hundred or so armed men rushing towards Peter and the others, Jesus takes control. But he will not use his power to escape. 
Again, John is the one who brings us the detail that when Jesus confronts his captors, they fall to the ground. Let them and everyone else realize that no one will take Jesus' life from him. He will lay it down willingly. Friend, please don't miss this view of Jesus here in the garden as they arrest him. Moments before this, he cried out, his face in the dirt, drops of blood falling from his face. He pleaded with his father that there be some other way. Now he knows the father's answer. And now he goes confidently to establish his kingdom and to win our salvation. Again, it's John who brings us an interesting detail. Jesus orders his captors to let his disciples go. When does that happen? When does the one being arrested give orders to those arresting him? But Jesus does just that here. And then verse 50, everyone deserted him and fled. These soldiers follow Jesus' orders. They let the disciples go. And go the disciples do. His dearest friends run away before the soldiers can change their minds. Jesus' arrest concludes with a strange incident, verse 51. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Who is this young man? Most Bible scholars think it was Mark, the writer of the gospel. Why was he wearing only a linen garment? Best guess? The sound of the soldiers going out to arrest Jesus woke him up. So he rushed out of the house and followed them to Gethsemane to see what would happen. And he got a little too close to the action. Jesus had given orders that the, those arresting him should let the 11 go. And the soldiers did just that. But they did try to arrest this guy. And when they did, whoever this person-wise, managed to escape by slipping out of the only thing he was wearing, the linen, linen garment he had quickly thrown on when he left the house. And then he ran off into the night naked and afraid. If it was Mark, why would he include this embarrassing detail? Wade Johnston, in his devotional commentary on Mark, has an interesting thought here. Naked and frightened. This is how we all stand before God. But Christ has dressed us in a robe of his own righteousness, put on us at baptism, daily laundered through confession and announcement of forgiveness. Jesus came down to this earth to dress us as his bride. That is the truth we can cling to, even if we find ourselves naked and afraid in the darkest night. Verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priests, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. Then he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. 
Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another not made with hands. And even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. As a lamb before her shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth, Isaiah had prophesied. So willingly, you go to your death, Jesus, for me. Jesus remains silent before the false witnesses because he's not concerned about earthly justice, but rather concerned about being that willing sacrifice to satisfy God's justice against our sin. The court of Caiaphas meant nothing. The verdict was empty. Jesus endured the lies and later the mocking and the accusation because he was God's willing and perfect sacrifice for our sin. Ponder that truth, lest you forget what it means that Jesus gave his life for you. Jesus had already been found guilty in God's courtroom, guilty of every one of our sins. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, Isaiah wrote, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Everything about this trial before the Jewish ruling council was wrong. Hastily called together in the middle of the night, witnesses who had been coached on the lies they were to say, who, by the way, these witnesses just happened to be present at the high priest's palace in the middle of the night. Everything had been neatly arranged to guarantee the desired verdict, guilty. Now all they needed was some false evidence. Two witnesses came forward who said Jesus was going to destroy the temple. This was a perversion of what Jesus had said almost three years before this. The temple he was referring to was his own body, and they knew that. Even then, these two could not get their story straight. Keep in mind, these were the supposedly most pious, most respected, most morally upright people in Israel. And here they were conspiring to carry out the most ungodly work, the killing of God's own son. These evil men imagine they are in charge, plotting Jesus' death. But it is Jesus who is in charge, carrying out our rescue. The kangaroo court was failing miserably, so Caiaphas changes tactics. We continue at verse 61. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Caiaphas' voice must have been dripping with sarcasm. Are you the Son of God? Perhaps there were nervous chuckles around the room at their imagined absurdity of the thought. But now the prisoner speaks, and what he says stops any laughter. I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. In other words, well, now for the record, I am. 
and someday Caiaphas, and what will be your day in court? You will see that clearly. There was a little kid at the zoo taunting the lion. The kid was about six years old, and he stood outside the cage hollering, Hey, you dumb lion, roar! You're supposed to be the king of the jungle. Roar! I can roar louder than you. And then the little boy would roar at the cage lion, sounding so brave. The lion, of course, paid no attention to the little boy. I'm sure if he had gone up to the, the, the bars of the cage and roared just once, the little boy would have wet himself. Why didn't you show them, Jesus? Why didn't you roar just once to shut their blaspheming mouths? Why didn't you say one word that would knock them all to the ground? Show them your power. Why, Jesus? Why didn't you stop them? We know. The spit and the blows and the blasphemous comments. These were all things that Jesus willingly endured for us so that unholy sinners like us would never stand in God's courtroom and hear God say of us, they are worthy of death. No. Instead, Jesus takes our sentence upon himself so that one day we will hear him speak the verdict over us, not guilty. Come and receive the inheritance I have prepared for you. Caiaphas had gotten just what he wanted. Inwardly, he has to be smiling. Outwardly, he explodes in mock horror, verse 63. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. And some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. The council is beaming. The room is relieved. The trial has ended well. They will be rid of this Jesus. He is worthy of death. Do you see the irony? Here's the high priest, the one who was to represent God's word before the people. The teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the ones who knew their Bibles so well. These are the ones who condemn Jesus to death. So heartened by this turn of events, so sure of the prisoners' folly and their own superiority, they quite fearlessly spit on him. They tear out his beard, and he takes it. They rack their brains to come up with more complex games of scorn, blindfolding him and kidding him and saying, hey, you're the Messiah, you're God. Figure it out, which one of us hit you? Now in the early hours of Friday, they will lead him off to the Roman governor. That is next time. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you.